that I most definitely from. We gotta play this song because we can't play the other one. Yeah. Let it be a lesson. You don't come into the garden in October. You just don't do it. Maybe in November through April you do, but not in October. Hello. Steve Clifford. You better run south to Orlando to try to get a wing. You ain't getting one. You knew that, Scott Harris, right? I did, yeah. I mean, you were well aware last night. Very. You, 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 you may have sent a game to overtime, which was cute. Erasing a eight-point fourth-quarter deficit, but <clears throat> I need to remind you about the best NBA free agent signing in Jalen Brunson, twenty-seven and thirteen assists last night. Hello, mm-hmm. boom, mm-hmm. three and one. How's <sighs> that taste? Huh? Good for you. Well, three straight. Knicks are averaging one hundred twenty-two points a game. Sure, it takes us fifty-three minutes to get that, but <laughs> you know, whatever it takes. Uh, happy Thursday, buddy, and welcome to the beat of sports. Yeah, the Knicks did win last night. The Magic did not. Going to no. get to them in just a little bit. Oh, and five now on uh, the season. But uh, happy Thursday. Scott's got a Beetlejuice t-shirt on today. I do, yeah. He is in full Halloween mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For Scott, the Halloween weekend begins today. <sighs> right? Thursday into the weekend. and. Yeah. It's an extended weekend because Halloween's on a Monday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is like a five-day weekend for Scott. Yeah. Well, I've told you this. For me, Halloween, the season really begins in earnest. Labor Day. Labor Day, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. I'm jacked. Jacked. I got I got, I got watch list I'm going to get to. I got nice. all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, good. Did you figure out your costume for Monday yet? For my costume? Nope. I'm gonna let you handle all the costumes. No, we're all dressed. We're all dressing up. I'm sorry. What? We're all dressing up. Uh, 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 what? Yeah, we're all huh? dressing up. Yeah, we Hello? all got to get in the spirit. <sighs> Do I want to mention something politically? You don't, because you know what'll happen. No, no, no. I, it, it... All right, never mind. Disclaimer: I don't care who you vote for. I really don't. Just vote. But you just understand if, and I've I've truly weaned myself off of uh, uh, cable news. If 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 the choice of crack by you, like whichever channel you want, you do realize when they bring on candidates that are from the party that they support, whether it is the one that starts with MSN or the one that starts with OFX. What new voter are they getting? Yeah. If you bring the Republican guy on Fox or the Democratic guy on, on MSNBC, what new voter are you getting? Mm-hmm. And, and nobody ever asks a question. It's just like, hey, you're a good guy. That's a bad person. Well, yes, that's true. Yeah. You believe in this. They're evil. They don't believe in that. That's right. It's the same rinse and wash. Anyway, I'm done. Just understand that. I mean, just look and go, oh, yeah, so-and-so is on. Right, because it's the agenda. It's <clears throat> Anyway. Uh, somebody asked me yesterday when I was at a store purchasing something. Okay. They said, hey, do you know what a good pumpkin is? First, I thought, are there evil pumpkins? But I think the person was asking me, what are you trying to purchase a pumpkin? a pumpkin for his kids? Yeah. And didn't know what a good pumpkin was. Wait, you ready for this answer? You ready? I said, are you using it 
just a car for decoration. Mm-hmm. And he, he had two children that looked like they were like, I don't know, four and six. He goes, yeah. I go, just get one who one side looks really good to cut. doesn't matter if the back side's kind of a little, you Wonky. know. Yeah. He's like, oh, wow. I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Made their Halloween. Huh? You made their what Halloween. That? Yeah. And then he goes, you anything about decorating? I go, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So I got married. Nothing. Nothing about decorating. Yeah. So, yeah. Helping out. Nice. Good job. Yeah. 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 Anything else in your life? Uh, did another spin class last night. 60-minute ride yesterday. You mean like great clips of Mike Wallace, Harry Reisner? We rode to we rode to different moments in 60-minute history. Right. Let's look back at a 1976 Andy Rooney clip while you're it, riding. That would be fantastic. A, it was a YouTube Yeah. It was Here's a YouTube Ed Bradley video. talking uh, recession in 1986. It was a YouTube video super cut. Of, of great 60-minute clips. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. That would be awesome. That would just be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm guessing not. It was not, no. Okay. And well, then, what was the musical theme? Uh, I swear to God, Mark. Okay, group, here's Mike Wallace and Muammar Gaddafi. Go. One, two, three, four. I feel like all the songs were like eight minutes long. They just kept, they were just so long. Don't it's stop like, till you get enough? No. Long version of Let's Go Crazy? Anything no. by Led Zeppelin? I don't think so. Okay. It, just, it, went on, it just went on. And like I got another one of these hour rides on Saturday morning. And then we've got a 75-minute ride on Sunday. No pain, no gain. Oh, my God. Pain is weakness leaving your body. There's so much pain. And no, it's not leaving the body. It's staying with the body. Okay. But Thank aside you. from that, I'm fantastic. I had a great, great workout and lift yesterday. One of those that when I finished, it was like, yeah. You know? Did you injure yourself this time? No. Then I admired myself. Just looking in the mirror before I hit the shower. Like, yeah, look at that and everything. Magic lost last night to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Team now sits at zero and five. Zero and five. Zero and five. And there's a uh, uh, update on the status of Cole Anthony. Did you see this? And that would be following last night's game at Cleveland. Cole Anthony underwent imaging, which confirmed a right internal oblique muscle injury. His return to play will depend on how he responds to rehabilitation and treatment. So that's bad news for the Magic, uh, who lost last night to the Cavaliers. They lost 103-92. Okay, if you want to go half, uh, half full, okay. Uh, Paolo goes for 29. That's awesome. Four straight games of scoring uh, 20 or more points. He had 29 points. He had eight rebounds and four assists last night. A uh, couple of blocks. He was 10 of 19 shooting. He was 3 of 5 from the three-point line. He had a great fourth quarter uh, for the Magic where uh, he had 16 fourth-quarter points. Uh, he was 6-for-10 shooting. The Magic were 2-of-11 uh, in the fourth quarter outside of Paolo. Uh, he was really good. Franz Wagner was good. He had 22 points on 10-of-19 shooting. was 0-for-4 beyond the three-point line. And listen, the 22 points is nice. He has to make outside shots because this is a bad outside shooting team. Not as bad as the Lakers, but they're a bad outside shooting team. The Magic... Can't compete if you can't make shots in a league that's about making shots. Now, um, Cole Anthony last night did play 32 minutes for the Magic, but as Scott just alluded to, uh, with what looks to be an injury to sideline him, uh, he had nine points, uh, six rebounds, five assists, but was two of ten shooting uh, last night. So Paolo was fine. Uh, Paolo and Franz combined to go 20 of 58 last night. The rest of the Magic were 15 of 38. And... um, you know, second half shooting, the Magic were not good, and therefore uh, lose again. And here's what's happening. Now, if you take Cole Anthony out of the lineup, 
with no Markel Fultz returning anytime soon. Jalen Suggs apparently not coming back next game or two. This team, you got me. Franz Wagner was basically point forward. Uh, Almost every offensive possession last night. Kevon Harris, by the way, making it clearly some Jamal Mosley. We'll go with him instead of R.J. Hampton right now. Uh, Chumo Kiki, uh, a wasted five minutes, and Mobamba, a wasted seven minutes last night. Bowl Bowl was fine. Nine points, ten rebounds, and deserves the minutes. Um, shorthanded, Cleveland's a good basketball team, and the Magic are 0-5. They get Charlotte, who lost to the Knicks in overtime last night. The Magic get them at home tomorrow before they go back on the road for two more. If you don't win tomorrow... It's possible this team begins 0-8. And that's what you are. The injuries are a factor. There's no question about it. And again, I'm not even counting Mark Fultz and Jonathan Isaac. But not having Jalen Suggs there and Gary Harris, it, it, it I mean, there is no there is no rotation. It's, it's it's who's healthy. It's just we'll you know, we'll play and again, God dang it, I script the one two two zone Hello. Guy runs middle of the paint. He gets the ball. Stop collapsing. Because you know what? They're passing the ball to the corner and a wide-open three, which Cleveland did again multiple times last night. It's the same zone that the Knicks killed the Magic on. Anyway, I can't, you know, I'm not going to sit and scream because there's some guys that, you know, wouldn't be playing as many minutes. Anyway, Magic lost last night. Forbes has your latest valuations of NBA teams. Want to guess where the Magic are among the 30 NBA teams? Uh, Middle of the pack. In valuation? Yeah. Final answer? Yep. Wrong. Uh, 25th out of 30, a $1.85 billion valuation. The Magic would tell you, well, those numbers aren't accurate. And it doesn't matter if they are or not. The team is worth whatever you sell it for, and they're not selling. Uh, according to Forbes, one-year change, 13% growth in valuation, operating income of $98 million. Doesn't make the record change from what it is. That's just where the Magic are. Uh, according to Forbes, the most valuable team in the NBA is? Want to guess that one? Oh. oh. Most, most valuable team in the NBA, according to Forbes. Warriors. Warriors? Yeah. Not the Knicks? Not the Lakers? No. that a final answer? Yep. You feel pretty confident with that? Yeah. Hmm. He's right. Let's go! Take um, that! Well, uh, $7 billion valuation for the Warriors. 25% change one year ago to today. Operating income, $206 million. Wonder why the Warriors can pay the luxury tax? Because they generate a ton of revenue. A ton of revenue. Um, Brian Estridge going to join us today. The longtime play-by-play voice at TCU. The under-the-radar team in the college football playoff that nobody talks about. Oh, it's it's Georgia. It's Ohio State. It's uh, Tennessee. It's Alabama. It's Michigan. It's Ohio State. It's Oregon. Um, TCU's undefeated. Now, 2014, they got screwed, but we'll see what happens the rest of the season. We'll talk with Brian. Uh, last year, they were 5-7, and seven, and uh, here they sit undefeated. Uh, Cam Miller, our good friend, Pro Football Network and College Football Network, will join us as he does to recap last week with talent on the field, players and their performances, and uh, some of the big games uh, this week. Eric Brisbell will join us later, our good friend, with Sports Business Journal. Speaking of the NBA, he wrote a really good piece. How the dream team changed the NBA forever. And not in the way you're thinking of, oh, yeah, that, uh, you know, once-in-a-lifetime team. No. What that team did to change the 
business of the NBA internationally. It's a really good piece, and we'll get to that in the 11 o'clock hour. History lesson today that I think Scott and the rest of you will learn Ooh. a lot. Yeah? In the history lesson today. Old a words. A lot. Okay. In the history lesson. Uh, up next, Mike and I talked about it briefly. Actually, longer than briefly. Brett Yormark, the new commissioner of the Big 12 in town yesterday to visit at UCF. A little bit on that visit, the business of the Big 12. Mike was talking about budgets. And I don't think the number is as big as some people think it is of where UCF is to where they want to go. It's challenging, but you might be surprised about the budgets. And I'm going to tell you one school that already spends more on one sport than UCF's entire budget. Uh, We'll get to that and much more coming up Thursday edition of the Beat of Sports. Weezer, right? This is Weezer, yeah. Very good. The Beat of Sports. Mark Daniels on this uh, Thursday brought to you by our friends at Seminole Power Sports, number one in fast fun, Reinhardt Road in Sanford, Highway 441 uh, in Eustis. Online at SeminolePowerSports.com. Check our good friends out. Holiday season upon us. Enjoy everything you need for the water, road, dirt, um, tailgating, camping. You'll find it at Seminole Power uh, Sports. Um, tonight, Bucks and the Ravens. We've got uh, the UCF uh, radio show. UCF Night Talk at seven. Bucks Ravens will follow at eight o'clock tonight. Uh, Gus Malzahn will join me, and then uh, players scheduled to join us uh, will be Matthew Lee, UCF center, and Alex Ward, the smartest snapper in the country. Oh, any any like Jeopardy questions you got ready for him? You know what? I might do a category on that. Yeah, like physics questions and stuff. So. We'll be in Island Wing Company tonight by UCF beginning at 7 o'clock. Again, the Bucks and Ravens will follow uh, right after that. Yesterday, Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark, a scheduled visit to UCF. He um, had gone to the other new members of the Big 12 and was scheduled to come to UCF several weeks ago. Had a reschedule because of um, a conflict that came about and then the storm. And they finally got a date. And he and uh, some members of his staff were able to come through Orlando uh, yesterday. And, uh, I mean, UCF rolled out the red carpet. Have you ever had the red carpet rolled out for you? No. I would never expect it, though, either. So they rolled out the red carpet, all the pomp and circumstance of a visit. Your mark went around, looked at facilities, met with coaches and players, and um, spent a lot of time with Terry Mahajer and the UCF staff about where they are today and, and uh, some of their goals, both short-term and long-term, on facilities and uh, branding and marketing and budgeting and all that stuff. And... Uh, then your mark met with the media before he headed out. I know Mike played a few clips out of that, and, and if you're interested, you can find that. And some of it's the regular stuff. Excited to be here, learn a lot about UCF and all the things that UCF brings and where they fit into the Big 12 uh, and, and, and and all that stuff. And um, I I do not know Brett Yormark other than what has been since he got hired and to follow what he's done in a brief time in the role of commissioner. I do understand a little bit about his vision at this unique time and where conferences are with what's happened in the SEC and the Big Ten, what's currently uh, facing the Pac-12, the ACC, and and their media deal, and and how the Big 12 is kind of rebranding 
uh, a little bit. Yormark comes from a background of sports entertainment. He's worked uh, in the NBA for a number of years in other sports. And I do think one of the reasons why he got the job was to kind of take a, a little bit of a different approach in some areas of how do we market our league with where we are now, of not being geographical in the same part of the country? How do we maximize our revenue opportunities where we're all clamoring for more dollars? And can you help us get creative than what we've typically done, no fault of those that came before you, but from where we need to go? And by the way, our league is going to lose its two largest brands, but you're here to try to put a spin and to prove that the league can be a strong and make a lot of money. Um, and your mark has, I think, gone out of his way to do a number of media opportunities and talk about his vision. Uh, he's openly talked about perhaps further expansion, not committing to it, but like every commissioner has to give the same answer of, hey, you're always ready for it, and if something is going to help us be bigger and better, I'm for it. If not, then that's okay. And he was asked yesterday about it and kind of gave the same answer. Hey, you know, if it's additive, meaning if it's going to help us, become a bigger conference with more exposure and 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 more money uh then sure but it's not something that uh they're running to and i said a few things to mike that i kind of want to reiterate here and quickly uh, 10 o'clock hour wygm orlando wjrhd2 coco beach orlando sports leader mark daniels and the beat of sports um for ucf and a lot of people talked about this from a budget standpoint. And I'm not giving out department secrets. I, I mean, I do work there, but um, most of this is public anyway. Uh, yeah, UCF needs to increase its budget. From where they are now, their budget is among the best in the America. Uh, and UCF and Houston have about the same athletic budget. Since then, he's actually a little bit below, but they did some kind of accounting coming out of COVID, but it's not that far off. And actually, BYU is, um, in, in comparing to Houston, uh, UCF, and uh, Cincinnati, it's it's also right about the same. So, so they're all in that kind of 68 to 75, $78 million budget. It's a lot of money. Okay, it's a lot of money. But going into the Big 12, you will begin to compete against schools that have a larger budget. Not everybody. Not everybody in the Big 12. For example, um, Iowa State's budget is right about where UCF is. But it might surprise you to learn that um, uh, schools like TCU and Texas Tech are over $100 million. Oklahoma State, you might think, well, they got that T. Boone Pickens money. Actually, Oklahoma State's budget is below $90 million. It's not like it's 120 not significantly higher than UCF. And whatever Oklahoma and Texas budget, and Texas with a massive budget, again, they're leaving. And we'll get to that in a second. So, yes, UCF needs to increase its budget. How do you increase your budget? Well, one way is you're going into a league that's going to give you more media money. We'll get back to that in a second. Yes, you need more donations. you got to raise ticket prices. Um, you got to increase your sponsorship deals. And, and they've gone out and partnered with a, multi, a multimedia rights holder, and UCF, this year has done very well in corporate sponsorships and will do well again next year because of where they're going in the Big 12. That's how you will increase a budget. It doesn't mean you can't compete with schools that have 10 $20 million more, but it's the league you're going into. And the average budget in the Big 12 
uh, is above where UCF is at, but it's not $50 million. And UCF's not going to get to a $125 million budget in 2025. Maybe in 26, I don't know. Um, but the plan is to obviously increase the budget so that, one, more facilities, um, uh, more for recruiting, uh, support staff, and how to compete with everybody else. Because just like in pro sports, there is a numbers game. You know, I maybe an, an extreme example. The Marlins may have hired a new manager. They didn't close the uh, budget gap on the Mets. Well, they compete in the same division. And even if the even if the Marlins doubled their payroll, they've barely kicked the tire on what the Mets are committed to spend. Can you compete? Probably not if you're the Marlins versus the Mets. In college sports, if you're fifteen, twenty million dollars behind somebody, it's a big number, but you can compete. But to give you an idea of the type of dollars you're talking about, with UCS budget and again, this is somewhat rounded off, $70, $72 million. This year, this year alone, this year alone, in the 2022 season, the University of Florida's football budget. Scott, you want to guess Florida's football budget? Oof. Not the athletic department budget, the football budget at Florida. Again, UCF's athletic department, between $70, $74 million. The University of Florida's football budget this year. Uh, fifty million. It's ninety point two million dollars. Oh wow! I was, I was like half on that. football. Yeah, it is ninety point two million dollars. Well, you're spending spending on that wins. Florida's overall budget is one hundred sixty four million dollars. Um, so I mean, it gives you an idea. The four schools are not that far off in budgets, and in joining the Big Twelve are, you know, yeah, lagging behind most. But to get towards the middle of the pack, not that far behind. I mentioned composite, uh, a a 24-7 talent composite rankings. That takes a look at your roster and says, the players that are on your roster, what was their recruiting profile, five-star, four-star, what was their grade, and how does that stack up? Now, that doesn't guarantee you wins. doesn't guarantee you wins at all, but... Uh, if you take a look at the composite rankings of 24-7 sports, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, does it hold form? Not really. Texas A&M's four. That's a mess right now. Clemson, five. Yeah, it's kind of held up. Texas, six. Oregon, seven. LSU, eight. Oklahoma, nine. Notre Dame, ten. USC, 11. Florida, 12. Miami, 13. That, that tells you that Florida Miami's rosters are not void of talent, despite the struggles in Coral Gables and the Gator record that might be four and four for this week. UCF's thirty fifth in that uh, talent composite ranking. Again, that doesn't guarantee them wins. They just lost at East Carolina, uh, according to the numbers. It's the most talented roster of the American, actually by a comfortable margin over Cincinnati, and that would be fifth in the current Big Twelve including Oklahoma and Texas. The point there is that Gus Malzahn, at least on paper, has a fairly decent roster to compete with and expected to get a good class this year. Um, is it like a distant 11th? But let me get to more in the dollars. Uh, that was brought up yesterday with Brett Yormark, and it's been a story in the media about media dollars. I'm going to play a clip for you. Andrew March on the New York Post, who 
does a podcast with John O'Ran, a sports business journal. Two guys that do a really good job in breaking news and sports media and have followed the college media rights story. Andrew Marchant, a couple of weeks ago, said the Big 12 was looking at maybe a deal totaling $400 million. Well, he's edited that a little bit or adjusted that. Here's his clip uh, from his podcast yesterday about what he now thinks the Big 12 and Pac-12 are looking at. The Big 12 going to end up ESPN and Fox. I think ESPN in the $225 million range, and Fox is in the $135 million range, so $350, 360 uh, as the final number. Maybe it goes up a little bit, but not getting to 400 And then I think the Pac-12 does a deal with ESPN and Amazon. Uh, I think Fox has been involved, but I just don't see it. I think there's bad blood still. Uh, Fox has the Big Ten, of course. They took UCLA and USC. I'm not saying it's impossible, but Fox, I don't think, is going to overspend uh, for the Pac-12. So they go to a digital player. I also don't think that Amazon, um, Amazon's history is just not the, I get it, the NFL, but they just don't overspend the Big 12. Okay, so, so if Andrew's right, couple things here. If he's right on the Big 12, which is an extension of the current deal with ESPN and Fox for, as his numbers said, $360 million. Okay, again, the dollars with Oklahoma and Texas in and UCF and the others coming in and when you get a full share, but for easy math here, okay, 360 divided by 12, because I do think you're talking about an extension of the current Big 12 deal, which will have Oklahoma and Texas leaving in, I think, a couple years. Uh, thirty million per team. Three sixty divided by twelve. Let's say the numbers are right. Okay, it's thirty million. Okay, it's less than four hundred million, but thirty million, right? Projected new playoff money, doubling what the current deal is, which is just over a hundred million dollars. On the low end, it might be two hundred million dollars because I don't think you're going to see the Power Five split equally. I think the SEC and Big Ten are going to fight for a greater cut, whether it's based on they want it or based on how many teams you get in. But if it if it's two hundred million dollars, that's another sixteen point seven million. Okay, thirty plus. 16.7, I'm about 47 million. Tier 3 rights, these are your Olympic sports that you have additional opportunities to sell. Might be 3 to $5 million, a combination of streaming numbers as well. And then other new revenue that Brett Yormark believes that he's going to get for the conference. You're still talking about $50 million. Maybe it's not the 60 that people thought of. UCF is not going to make $8 million this year in media money. So there's new dollars on the way. When you get a full share, that may not be for a few years. But just to help you in accounting, that's what the numbers may look like. By the way, on the Pac-12, if Andrew's right, there's a deal with ESPN and Amazon. I don't know what the number is, and I don't want the Pac-12 to go into business. Um, but I do think that there is a there's a little bit of a risk. One, the deal with ESPN, you're not getting games on at noon. Um you're not getting games at 3.30 likely because in the next two years, ESPN's going to put an SEC game on at 3.30. So now you're looking at two nighttime slots. They love uh, the SEC at 7 o'clock or 7.30. So you're looking at a late-night window and then the rest on Amazon. They may be geniuses. And in 10 years, we all may be watching all of our college football and streaming services. But there's a little bit of out of sight of the mind. And I don't know... Uh, if the casual viewer stumbles upon your games, uh, Scott, help me out because I'm an old guy. Mm-hmm. How easy is it for you to click from ESPN to ABC to Fox to Amazon? Uh, not very easy when you throw Amazon into the equation. Okay, there's the, there is a way if you 
have a streaming service that is mimicking cable, Hulu with live TV, DirecTV Now Stream, Fubo TV. But if somebody has cable, Spectrum or somebody else right now, mm-hmm. there's not an Amazon Prime button you're pressing on that remote to no. get you. So, uh, again, no, and even I, if there is, you have to go through the process of right. finding, selecting the yeah. game that you want to watch. So anyway, that, that, uh, uh, that'll be interesting to see what happens. And again... I, I think Brett Yormark wants to be aggressive in, in, in branding out there, uh, and, and I think he's done a good job selling that. And as far as the expansion goes, like I told Mike Bianchi, Brett Yormark knows right now, if he extends his TV deal, what the dollars are, he knows right now that if he adds two or four schools, and everybody knows that would be Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, maybe there's somebody else in the mix there, what that would be worth. And he's not aggressively, I don't think he's aggressively pursuing them. I think he's saying, look, this is what our deal would be. If you think you're in a better spot staying in the Pac-12 or what they will offer you, and if you think there's more stability there, so be it. He doesn't have to take now. It doesn't have to give him a deadline. He can just say, you know, we're here. If you want to talk, uh, give me a call, and I'll be happy to talk with you. I do think, and, and here's something that's changed in my opinion. Um, I know this for a fact. The 23 Big 12 football schedule is done. I can't tell you what it says, but I know it's done. Um, and I've had two totally non-UCF-related sources tell me that that the Big 12 and ESPN are committed to a 24-football schedule that includes Oklahoma and Texas. Doesn't mean it's not possible that they leave for the SEC, but there appears to be a greater chance that those two schools are in the Big 12 in the 24-football season partly because they're not interested in the buyout. Even after 23, they're not interested in the buyout. And because of the TV windows available in 24, yes, ESPN has an idea about the TV windows available in 24. Um, A move to the SEC, you know, what's the big deal? If the Big 12 has a deal uh, with the SEC uh, and Oklahoma goes to to, the and Oklahoma, Texas, leave. Well, it's all ESPN. No, they're committed to a certain number of games in certain TV slots for the SEC and the Big 12. It actually is easier on ESPN's schedule if they're in the Big 12 and 24. And actually, I think today, I think it's like 80% that they're in the league in 24. And the Big 12 has the schedule model for 24 done, meaning who would play who. Not saying it's impossible that they leave. But I think there's a greater chance today that they are still in uh, the Big 12 in 24. Speaking of the Big 12, the under-the-radar team that, with a win this week, I'm real curious what the College Football Playoff Committee does with them in their first rankings next week. Our countdown of old-time segment, we talk about the TCU Horn Frogs with their longtime play-by-play voice next. This is Countdown to Bowl Time on the Beat of Sports, presented by Florida Citrus Sports. All right, uh, one of the big stories of college football, and I said someone under the radar because as people are starting to talk about uh, college football playoff contenders and everybody puts the usual names out there, they might be leaving out one team uh, that is doing their part, but because they weren't uh, thought of having a big year before, TCU is, uh, well, they're ranked 7th, but people are quick to say about Oregon, and here's TCU undefeated, beat four straight teams that were ranked at the time, and uh, could they make a run? This team knows about uh, being treated by the committee years past. Uh, Brian Estridge, a longtime play-by-play voice of the Horned Frogs, uh, joins us. Brian, welcome. Good morning. How are you? 
I'm honored, buddy. Mark, look forward to uh, being in the same league, man. I, I'm uh, excited about what the future holds for all of us. It's going to be fun, but a lot going on now. Let me do this. Take me back to the end of the 2021 season. It's not a great year for TCU, 5-7. and seven. Gary Patterson had a tremendous run for two-plus decades. The state of TCU at the time, and then the decision to hire Sonny Dykes, and the thought initially then. Yeah, I think there were a couple of things going on. I, I think we had grown stagnant uh, over the last couple of years. 2017 was really the last good year for TCU football. You know, if you look at some of the, and I hate to refer to them as bottom dwellers, but teams in the league that don't normally win the Big 12, uh, we had not had success of late. We, we lost four straight against West Virginia. Kansas had found our number a couple of times, you know. So uh, Iowa State uh, was was winning against TCU. And I, I think the folks uh, in Fort Worth decided, you know, it, it was time for a change. You know, I, I joke all the time that the Methodists have it right. They move preachers every three years, you know, so people don't get tired of the sermon. <laughs> and I wonder if that didn't happen here in Fort Worth, you know, uh, after, as you said, two and a half decades of, uh, of Gary Patterson and some it's brought new energy into the program. Bringing Sonny Dykes and his staff, Mark, have been just unbelievable. I, I guess I, I, I would assume they've made a mistake. I just haven't seen it yet. I'll be honest with you. Some, from the day that they set foot on campus, uh, they've, um, they've, they've brought a confidence. Uh, they've brought an attitude. Uh, they, they've brought um, a, a compassion that I think was lacking in TCU football. And I, I think that's made a big difference with this team. And, and, and when you have a quarterback, and I know we're going to talk about it, Max Duggan, that, you know, that, that kind of helps also. Um, there's uh, the emotion of the game against SMU because it's where Sonny came from, and obviously the two schools have a history with each other. But then the wins um, and, and who they played and at the time they played them. Oklahoma is still ranked when they played them. Kansas is off to that unbeaten start. The Oklahoma State game was a phenomenal football game. Take me through the last four weeks, which there are moments in every one of these games that are like, well, you know, what's the big moment? And then it kind of happens. So what's the last month been like? Yeah, I tell you, the gauntlet, as we've kind of called it here, and TCU playing four straight ranked teams. You look at Alabama, they may play four ranked teams all year long. Uh, and uh, I think that, that, you know, it says a little bit about the Big 12, too, because, you know, you've still got opponents to come that will more than likely be in the top 25 with TCU season. Uh, Texas still to come on the schedule, you know. Uh, Iowa State, and I think in the ESPN power rankings, is 26, aren't they? You know, so, I mean, it, it, it doesn't get any easier. What we found out when we moved to the Mountain West and the Big 12 is New Mexico was no longer on the schedule, Mark. Uh, you, you're going to find that when you make the move that there are no gimmies. And so this group had to fight uh, week in and week out. And, you know, that confidence I talked about early on that uh, Sonny Dykes and his staff have instilled in this group, it's really played out over the last couple of weeks. Two come from behind victories over top 25 teams, down 18 uh, last week against Kansas State, who got off to a fast start. But nobody flinched, nobody blinked, nobody b- abandoned uh, the um, the uh, game plan either. They didn't get away from the running game. And I think that's, that's really what's helped this team as well, is that, hey, there hasn't been any panic. They've just gone out, they've taken care of business. In fact, uh, you know, it was interesting in that uh, Sonny Dykes told his team at halftime, he said, listen, we could keep play like we've been playing talking about the first half, and get beat, oh, we can play like we're supposed to, and we'll win. And they played like they were supposed to in the second half. Take me through the story of Max, as you mentioned. It's interesting because, um, I don't know, if if three months ago I said, hey, uh, Brian, uh, uh, tell me how good the quarterback is going to be if you would have answered him, and and now to watch what he's done, and you've seen this journey. So so what has it been like to to watch before and then kind of wonder if he was going to be, and now he is again? It's easy to say this, but I'm being truthful when I tell you I've always been a Max fan, Mark. And, and, and there was a battle for that quarterback job. And, and 
And uh, Chad, uh, Chad Morris's son, Chandler, had had clearly won the job in the last two weeks of fall camp. Uh, and, and, I, and I went into it, I'm not saying hoping Max would win it, but you know what I'm saying? I, 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 uh, I, I really like him as an individual. He's a kid you let babysit, if you know what I mean. He's just about the right things. And, uh, I, I, but, but he clearly lost the job. He, 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 was, he was not playing up to his level. Chandler gets hurt in the Colorado game in the opener. Max comes in, leads him to victory. And then from there, he has just built on it week in and week out. And he's tougher than uh, shoe leather. He, uh, you know, he, he, he'd rather, you know, take you on on a hit than slide. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he can get it done with his feet. He can get it done with his arm. Uh, the guys love playing for him. He's the son of a coach. He's in there watching film. I'm about to walk in the football office now, and I know he's going to be in one of those film rooms covered up with a blanket with it under the, uh, uh, you know, the lights are off, and he's, he's watching tape. That's the way he is, and so I think there's something to be said about that. And you know, he's a he, he's a, he's a great performer who has you know kind of he was the perfect teammate too. By the way, when he lost the job, he could have you know I mean how many times the guys just pick up and leave now, uh, and he didn't do it. He said I came to TCU for TCU. I didn't come to TCU because of just football. And so I, I thought that was really good. And he was a leader out there, and and now he gets his opportunity. He's making the most of it. I'm really proud of him. By the way, um, explain the depth of the Big 12, and again, I'm becoming biased for obvious reasons, but I laugh sometimes, Brian, when you know you watch a national show, they're like, well, you take a look at the national championship picture, and well, so-and-so's out because they've got teams that have a couple of losses. It may end up, and TCU may run the table, but as you know, it may end up with five, six teams going into the final week or two that all have chances to win a conference championship, and that still is a goal you would think of every team. And it becomes so competitive, you scoreboard watch, but the depth of top to bottom, while the SEC may be top-heavy of Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee, I don't know who goes deeper if you're going one all the way down to eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I'm telling you, there are, like I was saying, there are no gimmies on the schedule. That's what is so good about the Big 12. And you play everyone, too. What a crazy idea, huh? Yeah, that uh, You don't have to go in it with any kind of question marks about, oh, well, they didn't play each other. I wonder who would win that one. No, this is, I mean, everybody sees everybody, and, and, and the talent level is, is tremendous. Uh, the offensive skill players are, are, are outstanding. The quarterbacks in this league, man, are multidimensional, and, and it's top to bottom. There are no gimmies week in and week out. Who's going to finish last in this league? Probably West Virginia. Frogs go to Morgantown this weekend. They'll get their best shot from uh, from West Virginia, who plays much better at home, who uh, had over 500 yards of offense against a really good Baylor team when they beat them uh, in Morgantown. You know, they got JT Daniels, at quarterback, a guy who went 7-0 and at Georgia, uh, you know, and now he's starting in West Virginia, and they're sitting at 3-4, and four and their season's on the brink. I mean, this that, this is just what this league is. And I, I think I think uh, you're, you're going to love it. I think folks who follow the Big 12, who start to follow it uh, in the, in the state of Florida, they're going to fall in love with this league as well. Um, what's your thoughts on uh, Brett Yormark and uh, just all the stuff that's out there now about media deals and and uh, you know it's like a daily competition, Pac-12, <laughs> Big 12, everything. Just give me your thoughts of all this stuff from where you sit. I'll be candid, man. I dig Brett. I really do. I think he's a breath of fresh air in college athletics. I mean, uh, you know, Bob Bowlesby, the previous commissioner, was a classy guy who was accessible and, and, and was uh, transparent and was, you know, would do anything that we asked of him. But, uh, but Brett brings a whole different look at it, you know, and I think sometimes you got to do that. I mean, it's much like what TCU is going through in football. You know, you, you, Gary Patterson leaves and Sonny Dykes brings a, a different perspective. And, and, and I think that's what Brett Yormark's going to bring 
really to college athletics, not just to the Big 12. And he's going to think outside the box. He's hired a couple of execs from the NBA. I think there may be more on the way. And, you know, some of the vision that they have to kind of make this a younger, hipper uh, league uh, with some, you know, I, I think some out-of-the-box thinking. I think you can't, though, um, forget your, you know, your, uh, your, your folks who are T-shirt fans. Uh, and that's the other thing that I think the league has to be uh, cognizant of. And there are a lot of folks in, in, in uh, West Virginia and in Iowa and in Oklahoma who are not necessarily cutting the cord and, and watching everything on their phone. And you can't forget about them. And so I think there's a real balance here that folks have to have when they look at what the future looks like is uh, from a television perspective for the Big 12. And I think they're taking that into consideration. But I think you're going to see – this league uh, attacking things differently than other conferences do. And I think that you're going to see them kind of bow their, bow their neck and also uh, poke their chest out a little bit, too. I mean, I think they're going to brag about the success that they've had. It's the number one basketball league in the country as well. Let's not forget about that, Mark, with that cranking up here soon. So I think those are going to be things that uh, continue to get talked about. And it's a league that can survive without Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, look at the football this year without those two at the top. I say good riddance. Go ahead take the money and run I, you know I, we'll, we'll be fine without you hey last question let you go um when the jump was made for tcu in the mountain west what did you find yeah. was the biggest adjustment particularly in football from its standpoint i think everybody's got skilled players it's probably the line but was it that significant yeah. of a jump and, and how long did it take before you felt like hey we're competing uh, across the yeah. lines and everywhere I, I think it was depth i'll be honest with you it took a, it took about three years for the frauds to build the depth that you see in the Big 12 across the as you say or across the fronts is important. Um, you know, you, you guys just don't survive 12 weeks in this league, unfortunately, and it's 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 really hard to get that depth going from the start. And so to have quality players at your twos and threes, I think is the biggest thing. The other big adjustment was no more trips to Vegas. That was the hard part uh, when, <laughs> when you leave the Mountain West. You know, you get we traded Vegas and San Diego for Stillwater and Ames. You know, I'm not sure we made our made the right choice. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, you know. And, and the, but I'll tell you what: the fans are great. The stadiums are full. Uh, the uh, it, it's super important at these schools, and so I, I think uh, I think that makes it a lot of fun too. You're going to see some you're going to see some terrific college football atmospheres in some places that really take it seriously, and I think that's going to be fun for you. Uh, we'll uh, we'll roll out the red carpet. I think Orlando will be one of your uh, more popular destinations. So right, and we may not be Vegas uh, minus the casinos. We got everything else here. Uh, Brian Estridge is a longtime voice of uh, TCU, one of the many good guys in our business, and uh, good catching up. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Best of luck. You're the best. Have a great weekend. Uh, good stuff from Brian. We come back more college football. Cam Miller, uh, his weekly visit, Pro Football uh, Network and College Football Network is next. Time to check in with Pro Football Network's Cam Meller for the latest on college football. What a grab! And a touchdown! Get the latest college football news at profootballnetwork.com. Cam Meller is our good friend, and on Thursdays, uh, we love when we talk uh, college football, the performances of last week, and uh, some of the things to watch this week. Senior Director of College Football Network, which is on Twitter at CFN365 and the NFL Draft at Pro Football Network. Uh, PFN365 and collegefootballnetwork.com and profootballnetwork.com. Uh, Good morning. How are you? I'm great. You know, it's a, it's a busy time of year right now. It's a, it, it feels like we're there, but we're not quite there to midweek action next week. So that's a, a lot of fun little teaser tonight, at least. But I think I saw, like, 
We have 27 straight days of football now. Yes, starting tonight. So uh, tonight, and then we have the the beautiful slate that is next week's Tuesday games uh, and then Thursday games. But yeah, we can get into those later and, and discuss those as we wish. But yeah, it's, uh, it's the best time of year. So if I said to you in June when you and I are talking, go hey. I bet by the time we get to the end of November, you're going to tell me that Bo Nix could be a Heisman candidate. You would have said what? Uh, you're crazy, you're lying, and uh, you're over my dead body. But here we are. How that happen and why? Uh, yeah, a lot of credit goes to Kenny Dillingham, uh, the offensive coordinator at Oregon. And, uh, you know, Bo Nix is playing with sheer and utter confidence. I'm not really certain what has changed in his game. He, we always knew he had tools and and, you know, he put it put it together at times and in spurts. And it's not like a Spencer Petras moment from Iowa where you, you are confounded how he's the quarterback and they say he practices well and he never puts that forth, that effort on, on the game on Saturday. Whereas Bo Nix has had those moments where he, he looked, you know, like a, people called him a poor man's Johnny Manziel at times. And that unsustainable level of play, there was a lot of flashing in the pan. There was a lot of boomer bust. It just happened to be a lot more bust. And this year he's limiting those mistakes. And so... I think maturity, uh, an offensive game plan that really pits to his strengths, which are his, his accuracy and decision-making inside of the structure of the offense. Uh, so a lot of credit goes to Kenny Dillingham, but it's you know finding a way to harness those elite traits that Bonex does have. Is it all uh, – it, it has to be some of this, too. Find a happy place. And when you're playing at the previous place, and look, UCF's coach understood the challenges there as well, when it seems like everybody wants you to fail, um, you feel that, right? I mean, get to a place that you feel comfortable. Yeah, and it was a legacy, right? So he had he had yeah. insurmountable pressure every single game for him to do what his dad did and and continue to play. And what he started his career with a bang at Auburn, and he never really lived up to what his first game as a true freshman was. And it's, it's unfortunate, but that's what you know. We can talk the transfer portal all day long until we're blue in the face. This is what is good about the transfer portal and these athletes uh, allowing the change of scenery because we're we've missed countless great performances from quarterbacks and athletes at every collegiate sport before the transfer portal and, and the way that it's opened up the, the chances for them to transfer and play immediately. You know, he's a grad transfer, so it's not a great example of the transfer portal, but finding that happy place, it, it, it showcases what we could have missed had Bonix not been able to transfer. And this is, a, this is one of the better quarterback performances outside of that uh, opening game that we've seen in the past few years. A couple questions about this team, and I'm going to take a quarterback question as well. Jaden Daniels, uh, now looks like he's comfortable for what, what Brian Kelly wants to do. A few weeks ago, people were screaming about Brian Kelly because of a blowout that they suffered in a second loss and everything is good again. So thoughts on, on Jaden Daniels. And then about the talent at LSU, despite what the mess was last year, there's not a lack of talent at LSU that now you can see in certain positions like, oh, yeah, that's LSU where they recruited a high level. Yeah, it's a it's super interesting overall team because I still don't quite have a read on what this team will put forth. Are they the, the team that crumbles and starts slow? Are they the team that is built to come back? Are they a team that's built to, to keep a lead and, and, and hold a lead? I, I don't know, and I, don't, I think that they don't know either. So and while they struggle is to find this identity and, and get to that point, of course, they're doing it within the SEC schedule now, too, so it's, uh, it's not the easiest time to do it. But Jaden Daniels is a veteran, and he's sort of relying on what I think he relied on and was maybe a little bit too uber-reliant on at Arizona State. It was his legs and his ability to, to run the football, and I think that until defensive coordinators in the SEC figure out how to contain him and what athletes to put in as the quarterback spy to keep him within the pocket or keep him from 
breaking contain with his legs, I, I think that that'll work. And I, I don't know, again, if you talk unsustainable play that Bo Nix showed at Auburn, running the ball 15 times and trying to think that you're going to do that against every SEC defense on the rest of your schedule and run for 100 plus and three touchdowns, it's not going to fly. Uh, somebody will figure you out. And so I think they need to come up with a better way and a better offensive plan around Daniels that isn't just about his legs. All right, I'm going to eventually not ask you about quarterbacks, but one more. So, so And it's a promotion because I was watching the Football Insiders piece uh, and, 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 and Trey and Tony are on there talking. We get back to quarterbacks again. It's like, okay, you're in love with Bryce Young. You're in love with C.J. Stroud. But I'm going to tell you why Will Levis is still loved by NFL scouts. I like Will Levis as well, but there has to be a big 300-plus yard, four-touchdown game. Does there not? It's tough because, you know, was there was there not that from – I can't remember or put a name to it, but you look at tools and the traits and then the offense. That Kentucky offense isn't necessarily – game plan for him to have those four 400-yard, four-touchdown games. They, they want to grind the ball out, run outside zone, and get Chris Rodriguez in space before they really let Levis showcase the arm talent and, and, and break a few down downfield and, uh, on his deep shots. But when he does have the chance to, he has a special arm. That, that arm is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly accurate, and it almost feels like every time each progressive yard downfield he targets the football, it's a little bit more accurate, which is usually the other way around. And so I think that the his ability to play within the offense and do what the offense is is calling for and what works. I think his commanding of the offense, he's got that one hiccup this past season or this year where he, you know, lost game management skills, but that comes in time. This is still only his second year of starting as a, as a full-time quarterback. And so I, I think that the traits and the tools that he has and, and just that mock-up, he feels like an NFL quarterback. And I think that's what scouts love. So um, ECU beat UCF. They were the better football team on Saturday. So I want to ask you about a player and then the position development when it comes to the draft. I'm sure you know of him. C.J. Johnson is 6'2", 220. I think that kid's going to play on Sundays. Uh, he, he's got the size. He won a couple of 50-50 balls. And you're like, that's just really good. So am I wrong in his early assessment of a, of a guy that's a junior? And then how that 50-50 ball has impacted the drafting of wide receivers, where now, again, quarterbacks are so skilled, even in college, just throw it up, and we'll play the 50-50 game. And how many guys have benefited by being really good at that that didn't necessarily run the 4-2-9-40? Yeah, it's, uh, if you look at it, like Jalen Rager uh, from TCU just shot himself up into the first round with a great 40 time, but also you look at the tape, and it was a bunch of 50-50 balls that he won. It's not a reliable trait to look at from college football to the NFL because at that point, what what we have found over the past half decade, decade long now, is receivers that can win with natural separation, whether it's you burn your DB off the line or you break him off on your route or right at the catch point you burst and you, you have what's called late hands where you get the hands up to the football you know, a split second before the ball is there. Those are traits that C.J. Johnson also has. So he has this ability to burn a DB at the line with, with either a shifty move. He's also got the ability to break them off on his routes. Uh, and then when it does come to it, if he can't get late hands and he can't make a burst at the ball and it's an oh, underthrown ball from, from Holt Naylor's, which he's been prone to do, he, uh, it's not a 50-50 ball when C.J. Johnson's on the receiving end. It's more 60-40, maybe even 75-25 with how good he is and how big he is. He can outbody him. So. I, I like your point. He is an NFL receiver. He will be an NFL receiver, and I think what he's shown, just not just this year, last year, is that he can take over games as well. It's crazy to think he's not even their leading receiver as well, but he is uh, he is absolutely a wide receiver one and, and uh, probably a perfect NFL wide receiver three. Oh, yeah, I think he's really, really good. Um, I don't know about his NFL uh, career, if he has one, but I am kind of curious. Uh, I, I knew about it, and then you put him on your uh, 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 team of the week. Luke McCaffrey, some may remember, he was quarterbacking for Scott Frost at Nebraska 
not necessarily well. Now the dude's catching balls at Rice. It's, I mean, talk about a career arc and such an interesting one at that for, for Luke McCaffrey. And uh, he, he's a focal point of this Rice offense. Uh, he's just an absolute dominant athlete. I, again, yeah, I, I'm with you. I would like to see more. Um, from him as a receiver than we've seen this year, but we're already seeing it. If he's this quick to take this position change as a receiver, he's clearly a gifted athlete. He's clearly a guy who you want with the ball in his hands. He's not Christian, his brother, obviously. He's not a, the, the top five overall pick, but he's definitely a guy who you'll see him drafted in like round six, and you'll see, okay, that's a McCaffrey name. No wonder he's drafted. Then you realize and you see his highlights, and this is a player that somebody they're going to talk about on the national broadcast that is a, just a skilled, talented player. He's got a lot of elusiveness in his routes, but also that's why they feature him on the ground game, too, and that comes from his time as a running back quarterback uh, at UNC. So ball security is a thing with him, and, and finding ways to get him the ball, though, it's, it's just the, the game, but he's very talented. So somebody tells me, hey, talking to a couple of scouts, they feel this about this, and I'm like, really, on that team? So Miami's 3-4. and four. They're a mess. They had eight turnovers last week against Duke, and uh, you know Mario Cristobal is now talking about you know culture changing, things like that. But somebody said, no, NFL scouts think there are – uh, probably three pro players on Miami's defensive line. Is that accurate? I, it's yes. Um, it, it starts with me with Akeem Mesador. Uh, he was a pro prospect. He didn't probably even need to come to Miami, but he wanted one last shot, I guess. And he, I start with him, and then I'd go Mitchell Agude as well. And I'm not sure if I'd pencil in three because I would pick those. I'd say there's more in the, in the defensive backfield, which doesn't seem like it. They haven't really quite played like that, but I would definitely put a couple more uh, from that secondary. They're, it's a talented team, and it's just they're not playing as a team. They're almost playing individualized games, and that's, that's going to sink your season quickly. Let me ask you about some of the games uh, of this weekend. Early Ohio State's at Penn State. Can Nittany Lions hang around? Not at all. Uh, I think they were exposed against Michigan, and I think Ohio State, they don't win the same way Michigan does, but it doesn't really matter. C.J. Stroud is able to find any receiver on anywhere in the field. And so watch out for Joey Porter Jr. making a, a couple of pay, pass breakups here and there. But, no, I, I think that the, uh, the offensive line and the defensive line at Ohio State is way too deep. Is the Georgia-graded talent worthy of being ranked number one? I know why they're ranked number one, but is, it, 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 as you might grade their talent, have they been the best team this year? Yes, their defense has been. They've been more than enough to get there. Uh, on the defensive prowess alone, I think that they need to have a couple more games where they showcase this offensive prowess. Um, but they haven't needed to. You know, it's, it's no credit to them. Maybe there are some hidden gems or, or guys in the making that we are going to say are pro prospects. But there's not a James Cook. You know, there's not a George Pickens on that team right now. And I think that that's what they might lack when they get a little bit more uh, down this SEC schedule. And that November 4th game with, with Tennessee might really show us where we are, where they, where they are as a team. I'm doing game prep for UCF Cincinnati. Is Ivan Pace going to play on Sundays? Yes, absolutely. Honestly, I think Woo. he might even be the best linebacker in this class. This kid is for what real. numbers? Man, uh, a lot. The, the, yeah, the nation's leader in tackles for loss, right? And they're not just manufactured. They're not just him blitzing. This is him reading, run play, diagnosing the play pre-snap almost, and then jumping into the gap with his immense athleticism. This was a guy who back in the day, 2019, when he was on Miami of Ohio before he transferred from the back, and Cato Nelson, the, the great accurate quarterback who was as mobile and nimble as anybody else, they spied him on Cato Nelson in that game, and all he did was record five sacks uh, and multiple tackles for losses. This is the kid who's been doing it since day one, um, and this, his place on the Cincinnati defense wasn't given, and here he is, and he's the best player on that Cincinnati defense. Yeah, and uh, 
One of my favorite uh, stats is that he has one career interception. It happened at Miami, Ohio, against Ben Bryant, who was playing at Eastern Michigan, and now is his quarterback at Cincinnati in the transfer portal world um, that uh, uh, we live in. Okay, give me two under-the-radar guys I should be paying attention to that are not on top 25 teams. Uh, Ridge Texada, the quarter cornerback from North Texas. This is the kid who uh, he's leading the nation in pass breakups and total plays on the ball. Um, and I think that this is that's the exact player you want to look at as if you want to find a sleeper for the draft, or you want to find somebody who is going to come out of nowhere that you can do a case study on and say, oh, that's where he is. He's the brother, younger brother of two other former FBS players. Raleigh Texada at TCU is the, the probably the biggest player that may, maybe you might know from his family, but a lineage and a power five kid who should have been on a power five team just a little bit smaller uh but he makes up for it with amazing skill in, in, in coverage and then Dwayne mcbride uab's running back this is, he missed the first two games of the season for them and all he is now is third in the country in rushing yards first in rushing yards per attempt and so running backs don't quite matter as much he doesn't have the long speed that you would want but Dwayne mcbride is as the best contact balance in all of college football so uab when they play fau this weekend on cbs that's that's the game you want to watch and watch mcbride hey how about our man kenneth walker Huh? I love him. I, I I didn't know it would take this long, but here we are. You know, I, I'm happy to see him back um, and doing what he does best. Uh, Cam Miller is on uh, Twitter uh, at Cam Miller. If you go there, get the links to all the work at uh, ProFootballNetwork.com and CollegeFootballNetwork.com from game previews and draft and all that stuff. Uh, be sure to check him out. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You as well, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, busy eleven o'clock hour coming up. Uh, Thirty years from the Dream Team and what that team meant to the future of the NBA. It's a great look back with our friend Eric Britzbell, the Sports Business uh, Journal, and then a history lesson coming up that I guarantee you Scott's going to learn something. Let's Maybe go. Maybe the rest of you will learn something. I mean, I always learn something. As well. You know, my TV's still stuck on that. Um... Oh, yeah, yeah, Sorry, I forgot. No, no, it's okay. It, 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 it... What are you learning? Well, it kind of looks like when you walk in over those big uh, electronic stores. The big box stores, yeah and, yeah, and instead of having it on something to show you how cool it looks, it just has like a graphic up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it. Yeah. There's nothing on there, but... Would you say you're more entertained than a talking head debate show? Um, Yeah, no, this is far more entertaining yeah. than that. Not as much as Bubble Guppies. About, like, Rogers rips teammates. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. actually, do, do you want me to look and see what they're well, actually... I don't know, because I don't have it on my TV. I know, so, see, so you, yeah. Well, but it's 10.54. you got to get to the top of an hour. Why? Well, it was 8 block then, so we'll dive into something then. Uh, I am on the FS1 show. 1054. It's either how bad the Lakers are, uh, Lamar versus Brady, or uh, Aaron Rodgers. How to move Russell Westbrook. Okay, close enough. Yep. There you go. Scott the News kicks off the 11 o'clock hour next. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. 11 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJRR, HD2, Coco Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Martinez, the Beat of Sports. Oh, look at that. You fixed the TV. I did, yeah. Just don't unplug it and plug it back in. Well, I could have done that. But you didn't. Well, I don't want to touch it. Why? Because Because then if something doesn't work, I don't want to be blamed for it. You're going to be blamed no matter what, because you're the one that was in there when it stopped working. Like when something goes wrong on a copy machine, mm-hmm. I just run. If there's a blinking light, yeah, and then nine out of ten times, I promise you, I will lie and say that someone that I know is in the building. I, I don't know, but I saw Bill here before. Even though it may not have been Bill, someone's going to get blamed if not me. It could be a blinking light that just says the job has been completed. Doesn't matter. And you think something went wrong. Yeah. What's going on, everyone? Another edition of (laughs) the news. 
That's Mark Daniels. I'm Scott Harris. We will run through the top stories in the sports world. First up in the news, how about this one, Mark? Jalen Brunson scored 27 points, hitting the go-ahead basket in overtime. For what team, Scott? For the New York Knicks, as they beat the Charlotte Hornets 134-131. to Brunson also had 13 assists and 7 rebounds. R.J. Barrett scored 22, and Julius Randle had 17. On a pace to win 62. Not wrong. At 3-1, they're off to their best start in 10 years. How sad is that? <laughs> Gordon Hayward led Charlotte with 21 points. P.J. Washington... Wait, Gordon Hayward still plays? He does, yeah. No, I, I, I watch. I P.J. Washington, Kelly Oubre Jr., and Jalen McDaniels each had 17. Brunson's three-pointer with 314 left in overtime gave the Knicks the lead for good. Meanwhile, Evan Mobley scored 22 points. Jared Allen had 18 and 16 rebounds. And the Cavaliers beat the Magic 103 to 92. Donovan Mitchell added 14 points and 8 assists for Cleveland, which has won three in a row after dropping their opener against Toronto. Meanwhile, for the Magic, top overall draft pick uh, Pablo Boncaro. Pablo? Pablo. You said Pablo. No, I didn't. It did. Uh, Paolo Bancaro had 29 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists, extending his streak of 20-plus point games to begin his career to 5. Orlando is 0-5 in the lone team without a victory in the Eastern Conference. Best player on the team in 4 games. 5 games. Yes. I mean, I love Franz Wagner, uh, but but mm. Paolo's the best player in the basketball team uh, in 5 games. And what yeah, I'm, but when so-and-so comes... No, he's better than Marco Foles and Jonathan Isaac. He's way better than both of them. It's been... Hang on, I was actually... And again, uh, Cole Anthony now looks like he's heard he's going to be out. There's no rotation. They're getting nothing from Chumo Kiki uh, and Mo Bamba. Bol Bol was nice again last night. If you cannot shoot, and, and the Magic have gone too many years without shooting, you can't be competitive. Now, the rotation... Health of players is a major factor, but they cannot shoot. Again, they were not good shooting in the second half when they're still in the game. 27 months. That's how long Jonathan Isaac has been out. Yeah. Uh, uh, Unrelated to all of this, hey, how about this? ESPN Plus will be the home to watch all of Victor Wembanyama's games for the rest of his season. Saw that. They cut a deal with this team. Of course they did. Yeah. They did. Sports Center's got highlights of this Bucks uh Nets game. Yeah. And Twitter again can be a vicious place. People are posting every possession that Ben Simmons passes up a shot. Yeah. And there's Kyrie driving and he feeds Simmons who's in the paint who's like, This isn't going up. <laughs> this is coming back out. I'm not shooting this thing. Oh, are you not following my Twitter account? Did, four points last night. I started a Twitter account this season. Did Ben Ben Simmons shoot or not? And so it's every possession, he yes or no? He hasn't scored more than seven in a game this year. Look, man, he's not there. to He's there to facilitate, man. Oh. And Steve Nash got ejected in this game. Yeah, he did. With the Lakers' 0-4's start for the first time, uh, his team has lost four straight to begin a season since he was a rookie nearly 20 years ago. LeBron James vowed to tweak his personal approach moving forward. Quote, I wasn't aggressive enough in a lot of my turnovers, James said, after committing eight miscues in the Lakers' 110-99 loss to the Denver Nuggets. As coming off a lot of screens, looking to pass, get guys involved, I wasn't aggressive enough. Why weren't you playing aggressive the entire season? He's the least of their problems. What are the, what what what? And, are... and, and 
it's not on Russell Westbrook who didn't play last night. Uh, they have two great players in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. The rest of that roster is... Uh, the Knicks are a better roster than the rest of the... Like, Lakers. wherever I think of the two best Knicks players, which right now would be Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, mm-hmm. the rest of the Knicks are better than the rest of the Lakers. Oh, yeah, the depth-wise, now, it's way better. The Knicks don't have LeBron James and, you know, the... 26 games, Anthony Davis is healthy, but... Harsh. Mean. Mean. Uh, I don't know how you're going to feel about this news story. New York Yankees owner Hal Steinberger plans to keep Aaron Boone as his manager. Quote, as far as Boone's concerned, we just signed him, and for all the same reasons I've listed a year ago, I believe he He doesn't bat in the postseason. He cannot come through when you need him to come through. The roster is flawed, but... The problem for the Yankees is not Aaron Boone. So I have no problem with Aaron Boone coming back as manager. Mariano Rivera was pretty hard. I saw that. Whoa, man, top rope for him. Well, I'll ask you this then. Do they need to retain Brian Cashman, or do you need to get a different opinion in that front office? Uh, I don't think Brian Cashman's the, the, the problem either. I think that there's nothing wrong. The Yankees internally weighing like every team. Our obsession with analytics, our... Sometimes we put our toe in the water for our young players. We're afraid to not play them. Never mind. I don't want to trade them. I want to keep them. And I think that it's fair to evaluate what those decisions are. Um, you can't win with Josh Donaldson as your starting third baseman. DJ LeMayu, as much as I like three years ago, is probably now showing his age. So you have issues at certain positions that you have to make decisions on. They have a shortstop of the future. Commit to that. They have... Some other pieces, but I mean, n- nobody cares. Let's stop with Yankee talk. New England Patriots quarterback Mac Jones took a approximate... even when the World Series starts Friday. Well, Scott's the one of fifteen people. That no, you talked about how. No, I remember this. Year. I know they're going to go against football all weekend. So. And and you said it's going to be the lowest rated. I believe this will end up as the lowest rated World Series ever. Ever. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I will watch as a baseball fan. I have nothing against the pod. Uh, who's in it? Oh, the Astros and the Padres, yeah. Or Phillies. I mean, Phillies, Phillies, Phillies. Are you sure? I don't even know. Final answer? Is Gary Templeton still a shortstop of the Padres? The one thing I can tell you that I know for a fact is Joe Buck's not on the call. No. New England Patriots quarterback Mac Jones took approximately 90% of the first team reps at practice on Wednesday and will start on Sunday Who against the that? Jets. I, I, I don't Who? know. I, I don't mean, know. I mean, maybe somebody from the team told. I think it was Field Adam Yates. Schefter or somebody. Or... It was Field Yates who reported okay. it. Patriots quarterback Bill Belichick pulled Jones after three series in Monday's blowout loss to Chicago, inserting rookie Bailey Zappi in his place for the rest of the game. Belichick, who insisted Jones wasn't benched and would have returned to the game in the second half if the score had been closer, hasn't said this week who would be the starting quarterback for the Pats. All right. That's it. On the news, be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. This is a five-star segment. Go there and leave us a five-star rating. While you're going there and leaving us a five-star rating, also go and check out is the... every segment a five-star segment? Yeah. Huh. Also, while you're there, go and check out the newest edition of Timo's Town Hall. Episode 2 just dropped yesterday morning. Just type in UCF Nights Podcast wherever you find your podcast to listen to the most recent episode. Mark sitting yesterday down with somebody goes, Terry Mahajer. Um, hey, I saw your tweet. Where can I listen to the podcast? I go, 
how about if you just click on the tweet? And they're mm-hmm. like, I could do that? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty simple. That's why I posted there. Just click it on. Simple and easy. Right there. Mm-hmm. To do that. Tonight, we'll have UCF Night Talk at Island Wind Company by UCF. Gus Malzano look back at the East Carolina loss and look ahead towards the matchup against Cincinnati, who's trying to set the record, which right now they're tied with UCF for consecutive wins to the American. Uh, we'll talk about that matchup and uh, a couple of players, Matthew Lee, the center, and snapper Alex Ward, I think the smartest person in college football, will be joining us in the program as well. You're not with us tonight, are you? I am not Engineer there Frank is back. Engineer Frank is back. Frank is bothered that you don't order food. Some, I, did, I have before. You didn't last week. No, I didn't last He's week. He's bothered by that. Why? He just thinks you should eat. I wasn't hungry. I had a, well, you're I had a going a, boy. I had a big lunch before I got there big last lunch. week. What's a big lunch to you? That day... Like a full sandwich? No, you want... Peanut wanted... butter and jelly? Okay. I will just tell you this. This is this is a meal that I get mocked for uh, by my girlfriend. Uh, when I go to... Edamame the... and coconut oil? I go to the, the Golden Arches, and there, there there's a deal... So you can get a uh, kids meal, a Big Mac, and a ten-piece nugget, mm-hmm. and then I get a, 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 a large fry with that as well. Whoa! Yeah, crush it, huh? Yeah, yeah. It'll hold you over for a few hours, right there. Wow! You don't feel the need to like sleep in an hour for that. You got to fight off the urge for that. Okay, happens sometimes. All right. I used to know a guy when. The prices were not like they are today. He felt that the patties in the Big Mac weren't that big. Okay. So he used to buy three Big Macs. What? And then make them into two different sandwiches. Like Super Macs? By, by combining the, the, the patties uh-huh. into two different, whatever he called them. Yeah, what's your thoughts on that? I applaud the creativity. <laughs> it's it's like, very interesting. Like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, the patties, you know, they're not the quarter pounder, so I'm just combining it. And I'm like, so you've thought this through. This is this is not a new idea. No, Mark, he's thought this through too much. Yeah. All right. Uh, we come back 30 years since the Dream Team, but how important that team was on the future for the NBA and its international growth. A really good story that I want to get to uh, next. Beta Sports, Mark Daniels on this Thursday. We're brought to you by our friends at Greenway Ford and Greenway Dodge. Find them online at GreenwayFord.com and GreenwayDodge.com. Your complete satisfaction is our commitment. Greenway, the only way. We're cutting some new spots today. Well, the hair looks good. Strong. It does look sharp, doesn't it? It does. It's a good hair day. No question about it. Um, Eric Risbell's been uh, a guest and friend of our program a number of times. He's uh, uh, joined us. He's uh, the national NBA and uh, golf writer at Sports Business Journal and WNBA as well. He's got a really good piece that uh, Eric was kind of come on and chat about uh, as we look back 30 years for the Dream Team, but the impact that team had. Eric, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you doing? I'm, I'm great, thank you. So, so, so take me back. It, it's 1992. We as basketball fans are uh, excited because the U.S. is like, okay, you want to see our pros against you. And we enjoyed what really was a, a fun tour of these guys. But there was a bigger message going on. So I'm going to ask you, as you did, I thought some great research here. Take me back in 92. What was David Stern thinking beyond, hey, we'll show you who's the best power in basketball? But there was another game going on for Stern here, wasn't there? Exactly. 
Exactly. As, as usual, he's always the most innovative. He was always the most innovative mind in basketball and, and really in sports overall. Certainly you can make that case. And, you know, while the United States Dream Team was beating up on international competition and the international players were getting autographs from, you know, the Dream Teamers and wanting pictures taken before the game and all of that, Stern had his eye on a much broader vision. And he was much more ambitious about where this could take the game of basketball globally than really anybody else, even in the NBA, thought at that point. And I, I talked with Chris Mullen for a long time, a Hall of Famer, obviously, member of that dream team. And he remembers specifically, at least on one occasion, and, and he thinks multiple times, Stern would come in the locker room and, and talk with the players and, and have them sit down and just thank them for what they were doing and said, basically, you have no idea what this is going to do around the world. It's going to be beyond what any of you, you know, can imagine, basically. And, and 30 years later, look at what we have in the NBA right now. And, you know, I kind of separated in that long piece into three different buckets. And the first one is on the court. And it's not just that 120 players in the NBA now are foreign-born players, but many of the faces of the league itself are international players. The last four MVP winners with Giannis and the Joker, obviously, in Denver capturing two apiece. Uh, last year, the three MVP finalists, including those two and Joel Embiid, were foreign-born players. So pretty much everywhere you look, they're not just in the NBA, but they're dominating basketball overall. And then the second, second bucket was viewership and engagement around the world. The game is now being watched in 214 countries worldwide. And it's encroaching in, in different countries that, you know, people, they couldn't dream of watching the NBA, you know, years ago. The first NBA game broadcast overseas, I found, was in 1981, Celtics-Lakers. But here's the catch. It took 13 days. It was a 13-day tape delay because they had to actually fly the tape to Italy for that broadcast to be to made, made to the fans. So now it's everywhere. You could be a 10-year-old in the Philippines with a mobile phone and watch Luka Doncic, you know, in real time, basically, and then, you know, mimic his scowl and, and post it and share it with all your friends. So technology has transformed everything. It's... And then the third aspect, which is still, still developing, I just right. want to hit on quickly, is international team marketing deals. Right. And the NBA put this in place in 2019. It's very young right now. Obviously, we're coming off a pandemic, which kind of slowed all business, you know, overall, certainly international business as well. But teams are now free to use the, the power of their brands to secure international team marketing deals anywhere around the world. So that will increase revenue streams and increase the growth of the game globally. So even though there's been tremendous growth in 30 years, all the league executives I talk to say we're at another jumping off point now. This is ignition ignition point, and we're going to see tremendous, tremendous growth in the years to come. Yeah, let me almost work backwards because, you know, uh, covering this, uh, almost every day everyone wants to be a sports media reporter. We're comparing ratings and, and the audience, and it's not that the NBA is lagging. But when somebody says, well, the NBA had on that uh, primetime game, they had 1.6 million. Yeah, but the NBA now looks at it on a global basis, as you just said, and one of the uh, most interesting graphics you had in your piece, percentage of avid NBA fans. The U.S. is 12th compared to Philippines, Turkey, South Africa. So, sure, they want the largest viewing audience in this country, but they're capturing an audience across the globe that I don't think outside of soccer, but in this country, no other professional sport comes close to that. 
you, you nailed it, Mark. And, you know, I, I talked to Peter Fagan from the Bucks, like right at the tail end of my deadline for that piece. So I couldn't work in everything that he had said. He had just gotten back from Abu Dhabi with the Milwaukee Bucks where they played the Atlanta Hawks. But the overall message from Peter was the Bucks have a larger brand recognition, much larger brand rec- recognition outside the United States than they do inside the United States. And that was striking, especially for a team that's recently you know, won an NBA title. Uh, but it's accurate. And you have a global star in Giannis. So they're going to be able to market and take advantage of opportunities that they never before had. And it's just going to open up, you know, brand new doors for everybody. And you mentioned, you know, the fan fandom in different nations. Yeah, I mean, certain nations are well-seasoned with NBA basketball. It's been entrenched there for a long time. Uh, but others are really starting to come on now. The Philippines is basketball crazy. They just love it. And they can't get enough of it. So that's a real opportunity for the league. Uh, Japan, there's still more opportunity there, but given the the passion of the fans and the brands that are that exist throughout Japan and Tokyo. Uh, Brazil has gone basketball crazy. There's a lot of teams that are investing in uh, you know grassroots efforts in Brazil to see what commercial opportunities exist, and then certainly Africa, the entire continent. It's the potential there is off the charts from developing players to getting the game, you know, into into the, the homes of, of fans across the continent and also with, you know, marketing opportunities as well. So there's a lot of potential still to be tapped into. Yeah, I think the talent uh, situation or, 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 or opportunity in Africa is amazing, as you write. Um, explain to me China, the challenges there for the reasons we've seen in recent years. It's an important market to the NBA. I think a lot of people who have criticized, not that they shouldn't be criticized, the NBA about a China relationship, need to maybe understand the bigger picture of what the NBA sees in China. So clearly there are political challenges there, but what is the the, the, the status and importance of China to the NBA? It's critical. It, it is significant, and it's critical to the NBA's continued growth. And, you know, it was a, uh, a couple years ago, I think it was 2019, when Daryl Morey, then a G, the GM of the Houston Rockets, you know, sent that tweet heard around the world, really. And it caused an uproar, uh, you know, criticizing the, the government. And it resulted in, along with, you know, some other players who tweeted, you know, cr- critical things about China, it resulted in the NBA games being taken off the air in China on two different platforms, really, for a variety of time periods. And that's crushing. I mean, the streaming platform in China is called Tencent, and the NBA has a more than $1 billion deal with Tencent, you know, spanning five years. Uh, the growth in China on a number of fronts re- related to the NBA is just critical for the league. So they are going to follow the direction of the U.S. government. And if Joe Biden and the United States are continue to do deals with China, then the United States will as well. And the NBA told me point blank. They do not prohibit their teams from securing marketing deals with any country in the world. And in a variety of teams, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Golden State Warriors, two of the teams really at the forefront of innovation told me, you cannot ignore China. It has to be in your strategy for global growth because the potential there is just too great in terms of growing the game and certainly in terms of uh, revenue streams. Uh, you touched on this about the talent. You go back in 92, and, and, you know, we would get a Yao Ming eventually and a Dirk Nowitzki, 
now that talent comes from all over. It, it, it's not just in Europe, and I think, as you mentioned, 120 players uh, today. That, I, I would imagine, the NBA loves as, as these markets grow. So it's not like you're just concentrating in Europe where the quality of play, you know, we say, oh, you know, European basketball is caught up. Now we're finding quality basketball and players are coming from many, many other areas. I would imagine that makes Adam Silver and the NBA smile. It's easier to market. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's not just, you know, Europe and Victor Women, Yama, and, you know, a guy with a seven foot four, you know, frame with an eight foot wingspan, who, by the way, I should have mentioned, the NBA just, you know, told me all of his games yeah. this year, all of his games will be streamed live for free uh, on the NBA app. So that's the interest level that there is for, for guys overseas right now with the potential of, you know, the Victor has. But, you're right. It's not just Europe. It's not just Victor. Basketball Without Borders uh, has done a tremendous job in in finding and and kind of grooming athletes for the NBA. I believe the number is 38 players, including Joel Embiid, went through the Basketball Without Borders system who are now playing or have played in the NBA. Uh, and it's just going to continue to rise. I mean, one of the most interesting parts of the story, Mark, was when I talked to the NBA about the first Africa camp, the first camp that they held in Africa, 2003. And it could have been like the dark ages compared to now. It's only 19 years ago. But you had players come in, in bare feet or in shoes two, two sizes too small. And, you know, they got equipment there. They got sneakers there. But they just wanted a chance to play. And they were just – they marveled over the NBA and what the possibilities were to, to play basketball. So it's, it's just – advanced and evolved tremendously since then and will continue to do so but they're finding talent in in really every every nation in the in the world and certainly some more than others some have a more seasoned and uh sophisticated infrastructure already in place but others will get there in, in no time let me end with this people wonder about the nfl because the increased number of international games but it may seem like the NBA is more primed to place its first team on an international level. While we may be obsessed with returning basketball to Seattle and the lure of Las Vegas, is it possible for Adam Silver to look at an international opportunity? Uh, and my guess would have to be more than one team, but do you think the NBA might be first? It could be, and because of the reasons that we just described, that basketball is really encroaching on soccer as the world's number one sport. And that's the NBA's goal. They want to be known as the world sport. So in order to do that, it certainly would make sense to have one or two teams overseas. Uh, when will that occur? No idea, and I don't envision it'll be anytime soon or this, this decade. I mean, I, <clears throat> they certainly have their eyes on expansion once they get the media rights deal done in a couple years. And, you know, everything points to, you know, Seattle and Las Vegas for that. That's not an inevitability, but it's, it's probably a high likelihood at this point. Uh, and that makes sense. There certainly should be basketball in Seattle and Vegas makes all the sense in the world. But, but I, I have no doubt that they have their eye, you know, long term about the possibility of what it could look like to have a franchise overseas. And, you know, logistically, you know, in 10, 15 years, that could be a lot easier than what it is today. Uh, it's a really great piece. It opened my eyes to some things, particularly about measuring an audience for an NBA game. Uh, it's much more than just U.S. eyeballs. Eric Prisbell uh, is on Twitter at uh, Eric Prisbell. He works at the Sports Business Journal. He covers the NBA, WNBA, and the golf writer. Always good catching up, Eric. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
Thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate it. Um, we come back. A history lesson. Scott's going to learn something today. I think you may learn something as well. It's not Halloween-related, Scott. That's okay. All right. doesn't have to be. We'll do the history lesson next. <laughs> Yes, indeed, boys and girls. Time to gather around. Time, little history lesson. Maybe put on your favorite pajamas. Gather a little cookie or two. Ooh, what's a go-to cookie for you right now? Chocolate chip. Wow, soft chocolate chip. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, let's do a little history lesson, uh, boys and girls. Something that maybe you didn't know that happened in sports. Our history lesson today is going to take you back, uh, actually, for the moment, a little bit more than 40 years ago. Okay. There was a time where in this crazy world of college football, there was something called the Southwest Conference. Made I've up seen of, the logo for this. Made up of Texas schools. Back then, SMU, Texas, Houston, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Rice, Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech. Uh, they ran a different type of league. Some might say they pushed the envelope with a gray area when it came to NCAA rules back then. Some might tell you those big oil guys ran college football in the state of Texas and for the most part got to determine who could be good and those that, well, you can be better, but you're not going to be as good as us. (laughs) There was a lot of oil money in the Southern Methodist University football program known as SMU football. And there were some rich guys that didn't like the fact that Texas felt like, well, we're the biggest in the state, and we should always be dominating. There was Texas A&M who said, well, no, we're as big as you. And they would fight it out amongst themselves. You know, an oil rig here, an oil rig there, my string of car dealerships that I own, and your business dealings over there, and all sorts of stuff. Well, there's a lot of money at SMU. A lot of money. And they felt maybe we should be playing football at a high level as well. And they decided to invest in their football program. And over a period of years, in that Southwest Conference, they began to get pretty competitive. And a pretty good history of football at SMU. But if you go back into the Late seventies, they were four and seven, three and eight, four and seven, four six and one, five and six. In nineteen eighty, they were eight and four. Ron Meyer was the head coach, the Ron Meyer that went on to the National Football League, and after four consecutive losing seasons, I think Ron Meyer Scott would have kept this job going three and eight, four and seven, four, six and one, and five and six. No. Probably not. It's not making it to year three. But in nineteen eighty, the Mustangs went eight and four. They played in the Holiday Bowl. They finished in the top 20 in the final rankings. And it was a sign to make some of the, quote, big donors step their game up. In 1981, well, they were 10-1. and And in 1982, expectations were even higher. After a top-five finish in the 1980 college football season, which saw Texas A&M, which saw SMU rather have a phenomenal year to set things up in, wait, the next year. By the way, the Mustangs had been placed on probation already <laughs> for recruiting violations and banned from participating 
in Ebola 1981. There was the whole, you know, pay-for-play scandal back then. But the Pony Express backfield of Eric Dickerson uh, was a pretty big factor in the success of that program. Craig James and Eric Dickerson. Along came the 1982 college football season. And expectations were high because now SMU is going to be able to play in a bowl game. Bobby Collins took over as head coach at SMU and Ron Meyer jumped to the National Football League. And expectations were pretty high for SMU. They began the year ranked 8th in the country, beat Tulane, uh, won at uh, UTEP, uh, beat TCU, North Texas State, won at Baylor, beat Houston. By the way, they played their game, Scott, in Texas Stadium, where the Cowboys used to play at Irving, Texas, not the current stadium. Mm-hmm. And despite being highly ranked, only averaged about 30,000 fans a game. Well, they got on a roll, uh, kept on winning, and set themselves up for a huge football game against ninth-ranked Arkansas. November 20th, final regular season game of the year. Going into that weekend, they were primed to perhaps win a national championship. There they were, second in the country. If they could just beat Arkansas, head to the Cotton Bowl, they would find themselves in a pretty good position based on where the rankings were. The year had gone great for the Pony Express of Eric Dickerson and Craig James. Um, And here comes this game against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Big matchup. Lou Holtz, the football coach at Arkansas. We got a tight football game. Going back and forth. Late fourth quarter, Arkansas led SMU 17-10, to time winding down. Mustangs 43-yard line. Lance McElhinney is the quarterback for SMU. Here's the call to the great Keith Jackson on ABC, which if Keith Jackson was calling your game late Saturday afternoon in 1982, it was a big game. Here's Keith. Back goes McElhinney on a straight drop. He's going deep again, and it is incomplete. Penalty flag is thrown. Tell you that one could go either way. That one could go either way. Nathan Jones is defending against Jackie Wilson, and it was Wilson kind of running up the back of Jones. Now watch the play again. You, the blue shirt, Jackie Wilson coming down. Jones has should have access to the ball. That is a very very questionable call. That's a bad call. That's a bad call. buy that call at all. I don't frankly care who wins the football game, but that is a bad call. The Arkansas man has freedom to go to the ball, just as the SMU man had freedom to go to the ball. And if there was contact, it looked to me like the contact came from Wilson going up the back of the Arkansas defender. Third down and goal to go from the two. McElhenney still got it. So SMU scores a touchdown. Let's go back a little bit. By the way, uh, pretty strong by Keith Jackson. Yeah. It was unlike Keith to do something like that. Mm -hmm. By the way, Lee Grosscup is his color analyst. That's something Brett Musburger would have done because he had the over-under or or, or points on somebody, (laughs) right? But Lee was pretty adamant. Um, That ends up as a pass interference call. In 1982, my good friends, pass interference was a spot foul in college football. That turned out to be a 42-yard penalty. From the 43-yard line of SMU, the ball got spotted at the 15-yard line of Arkansas. 
you heard the McElhaney touchdown, and Bobby Collins, with a chance to go for two, opted for the extra point. It was a critical decision. They made the extra point to tie the game at 17. What became interesting about that decision is the tie saw SMU drop from second to fourth in the polls. Guess what? That likely cost them a chance at a national championship. As the Southwest Conference champion, they played in the Cotton Bowl on New Year's Day. They beat a pit team led by a guy named Dan Marino. Uh, that season saw Penn State beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl to claim the national championship because Penn State had moved up to number two in the poll. If Bobby Collins goes for two and they score, maybe SMU would win the national championship. But, Scott, the bigger story that came out of that Arkansas football game was this. Keith Jackson made such a bone about that play mm-hmm. on live television and such a big deal. The officiating crew was suspended after the game. <laughs> what? The NCAA issued a written apology to Arkansas saying it was a bad call. And that offseason, the NCAA changed the rule for pass interference so it became a 15-yard penalty and not spot foul. So if you wonder why you watch an NFL game and pass interference as a spot foul, Mm. and in college football, it's 15 yards, now you know. Back in 1982, Arkansas and SMU... Because Keith Jackson, on national television, because the game is not that ABC game, they may have changed the call eventually, but that call and an actual written apology by the NCAA to Arkansas led to the change of rule to make pass interference 15 yards instead of a spot foul. What broadcaster now has that much cash? on Herb Street. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know if it leads to a rule change. They could make a big deal, but I don't think they would because in the role that they play. Mm-hmm. But Keith Jackson was college football, the powerful voice. It just was unlike Keith to do something like that, and it made such a stink. The crew got suspended and a written letter of apology, and they changed the rule in the off season. That's why you have a fifteen yard penalty, not spot foul on pass interference. You learned a lot there, didn't you? I did learn. I did learn a lot there. You did learn a lot. And you know what else I learned? It's the same officiating crew that asked Mike Evans for autographs. Wow. Wow. Don't think that's accurate. Back to wrap up the Thursday show next. Time for the latest news, gossip, trends, and off-the-wall stories. Trends. That's the craziest thing I've heard. Russell Westbrook bought a $37 million home across the street from LeBron James in Brentwood. That's cool. Um, You're allowed to have... Holmes. On a recent episode of Jeopardy, a contestant was asked, what is the plural of moose? He answered, meese. That's what it should be. It's not. It's what mooses? is the plural? Mooses. Moose. Oh. Not mooses. Hmm. Those are two moose. You don't think that sounds right, It huh? doesn't sound right. <laughs> mooses. Mooses and squirrel. Have a nice uh, Thursday. Thanks for hanging out. Miss any of our interviews today. Some good stuff. Always find it at 96thegame.com. The interviews, the show on demand, and go where you find your favorite podcast and type in The Beat of Sports, and you find it there. Also, my uh, latest episode with Terry Mahajer, Timo's Town Hall, is up. Uh, just check out UCF Podcasts, and you'll find it. Good stuff with Terry. Uh, UCF Night Talk tonight, 7 o'clock, and I don't win company. Scott and I are back tomorrow for a Friday show of The Beat of Sports. He produced. I'm Mark Daniels, The Beat of Sports.